Well, do you think uh, there's enough there to chew on? You could preach a whole, have a whole worship series for an entire season based on that one uh, text. Uh, Pastor Beth is on vacation this weekend, so I'm uh, going uh, solo. Family trip down to Kansas City, as she typically does this time of the year. But uh, we have a lot going on here. It is Pentecost. It is um, a Sunday where we uh, celebrate the promise of God's healing um, a bit later on. And one of the richest, biggest texts out of Romans, and Romans is full of big, rich texts. So we're going to unpack this and, uh, and, and, and look at a, a number of things that I think you will find uh, relevant. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and uh, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We'll get right to it. Verse 8:28 reads, "For we know all things work for the good for those whom God has called according to his purpose." Have you heard that verse before or read that and been in a devotional? Yeah, it's, it's out there. Kind of an eye-catcher of a verse. Great verse. Great promise. But really, all things work for the good? What does that mean? Abuse? Accidents? Death? Divorce? Unemployment? Homicides? The list goes on. It's easy to read this verse and conclude that if all things work For the good, then all things are really a part of God's plan, however negative or even tragic. All things then must have been willed by God if this is a part of God's plan. Are you with me? It's a very small step then to say that because God is responsible for all things, then all things are somehow good. Or God did it for a reason, to punish someone or me, that sort of thing. And yet, somehow, don't we pretty much know that if a woman is abused by her husband, that is not something God wanted to happen. It was not a part of his plan. And can't we say beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is not good, but very, very bad? What then does this verse mean? Why? Do we say, why did Paul write that all things work for the good? This verse is here because of the cross and Easter and the Holy Spirit. Take Jesus' death on the cross. It was a horrific injustice and tragedy. And yet, God used this event to show his love for us, to show his solidarity with us, and to show us that life itself can rise from the ashes And out of the worst that this world can dish out, I give you Easter. And then the day of Pentecost bringing us to today, when God says to us that God's own spirit that lived in Jesus, a spirit that brings life out of death, meaning out of chaos, that spirit is now given to all who believe God's spirit is loose among you. And that spirit we learn in our passage today intercedes on our behalf 
pleading in sighs too deep for words. This spirit, the advocate, advocates for us so that our lives, broken and careening about, those lives are being restored and redeemed. This spirit brings life out of death, produces good fruit from a bad seed. It forces bad things, even evil itself, to give way to hopefulness and to something actually concretely good. It's about who gets the last word is what it is. Paul is telling us in Romans, furthermore, that it goes even beyond that. In Christ, God has reclaimed all of creation as creation groans and waits for its release from its bondage to decay. God will redeem and make whole all of creation, including all people and all human history. It's universal in scope. That means... God is at work reassembling a new creation from the scrap heap of human history. God will have the last word. Powerful stuff going on here, huh? Now, we know all too well where our lives are lived. At least some of the time. (laughs) Amidst the considerable pleasures of this world and this life. We also live in brokenness, and we wait for redemption. So when there is job loss, or chemical dependency, or mental illness, fill in the blank that becomes a part of your family's narrative. How do you get through it? The promise of Romans 8.28 is that while one endures the pain, the death dimension of your life, one is also invited to await the resurrection right there where the pain is, right where the death is. So, a high school kid who worked hard at basketball his whole life doesn't make the high school team, but this leads him to discover a greater gift and fit for him, theater, and music. A chemically dependent person's life falls apart, but in treatment, she discovers the importance of a higher power, a life-saving relationship, a relationship she may not have discovered unless she had been humbled by her own demons. A marriage falls apart in the pain and heartache each one learns more about themselves and in their richer, deeper, wiser selves that emerge, they each eventually look forward to the next chapter. In the book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, we are invited to look at our broken lives as the backside of a tapestry. Maybe you've heard this before. The backside of a tapestry, if you've ever bothered to check it out, is an unruly, chaotic mess. Different colored threads going every which way. You would have no idea what the tapestry was about looking at the backside. But when you turn it over, 
those same threads find their proper place, tightly woven into a beautiful pattern. On the front side, the mess on the back side is redeemed. Our lives are often a broken, unruly mess. Thank goodness for the anointing of oil and the promise of healing today. We, we need that from time to time. Sometimes even the mess is brought on by tragedy and let's just call it what it is. Sometimes it's evil. And in this life, on the backside of the tapestry, it does not make sense. That makes sense. Yet, history is in the hands of God who fully intends to establish his kingdom, a kingdom of love and mercy, of justice and beauty, of celebration and life. As people of God, followers of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, we are given glimpses, signs of God's kingdom, a foretaste of the feast to come, one foot right there in that kingdom. Which simply means that sometimes God redeems the brokenness of our lives in ways that we can see and experience in this life without waiting for the next. It is then up to us to expect this, to be willing participants in God's working for good in your life, in our lives together. It has a private and a communal dimension. All things work for the good. Do you believe it? Do you expect it? Watch for it. <clears throat> I'd like to, um, in, <clears throat> in uh, winding down the sermon, address two examples that invite community-wide response. It certainly works on both the private and the communal. If you go back to those verses describing <clears throat> all of creation groaning in anticipation of its release from its bondage of decay, <laughs> do you recall those, those words? Rather vivid imagery. It sounds like it was written today, doesn't it? Indeed, creation is groaning and wailing in the wake of extreme weather, rising temperatures, droughts, floods, and many of God's creatures struggling uh, to survive. Clearly, the brokenness of sin encompasses all of creation, and creation awaits with us to be made whole again. That, that scope and vision was established two millennia ago. So true today as well. How might God's Spirit enter in here and work for the good? We've identified the broken. Well, there is a phrase that we'd better not leave off here. According to God's purpose, all things work for the good according to God's purpose. Perhaps the good that this situation currently earthwide can produce is born out of the renewed awareness that all of creation belongs to God and that God has a purpose for it, just as he has a purpose for our lives. What role then are we as human beings to play, we who are made in the image of God? Well, the very foundational book of the Bible, Genesis, makes this abundantly clear. We are here to till and keep 
the garden, the garden of creation. Elsewhere it is established we are to have dominion over creation, which does not mean to dominate and subjugate according to our purposes, but rather to benevolently care for according to whose purposes? God's. So if all things work for the good, for those of us who are called according to his purpose, something like a movement can happen, a movement of transformational stewardship. I know, I know, there's a partisan divide here. (laughs) But there shouldn't be, honestly. We can surely all come together around this on common ground. Uh, This is an issue where there's something for both sides, truly. Conservatives can be about conserving and progressives can be about, you know, doing their thing and progressing. And there is more than enough room for both in being stewards of God's creation. What good can come out of this brokenness? Well, play around with it. I've heard some suggest that the world is here to be gobbled up and consumed for our various enterprises and purposes. But this is about God's purposes, remember? And God's purposes don't likely entail the destruction of the balance of life on this planet so that we can consume. Why do I mention all this? Perhaps some of you can take the lead and help us all to be advocates of the earth, just as we are learning to become advocates for victims of domestic violence and advocates of the poor and the homeless. So too are we called as followers of Jesus to be advocates of creation. That's how broad the scope is. Even our recklessness and indifference with matters of planetary health can become fertile soil for good if we are willing to learn and be reawakened to God's blessings and God's purpose. So play around with that whole idea. God working something good out of what is Um, challenging. Here's another situation. Christian churches, uh, of which we are certainly one, have been struggling to maintain themselves for decades, and this trend is only increasing. More people than ever are not not identifying with any faith at all. I mean, it's really moving. Now, for those of us who go to church, we might say, this is bad, but of course, it is also an opportunity in light of Romans 8, 28, an opportunity to revisit what God is doing in this world to piece together a new creation out of the brokenness. And I mean in 2015, not... uh, 1950 or 1980, this world. It's an opportunity for us to ask questions about our identity. What is Mount Olivet's purpose? Why are we here anyway? What is God up to in the world? It is indeed the case that we've been asking these questions around here. Perhaps you've heard those questions. And asking them with the belief that God is as much at work in the world today as God ever was. So we want to watch and listen so that we partner with God in God's work in the world. For the next four weeks, beginning um, next week as a part of worship, we, in fact, um, uh, various leaders will share with you our assessment of this. We are here now in God's unfolding story in this world with its 
troubling signs. This will be an update of what we've learned about ourselves over the past few years as we've taken a journey that's been called the Partnership for Missional Church, or PMC for short. We do believe, Romans 8.28, that all things work for the good for those whom God has called according to his purpose. Well, guess what? That includes most churches shrinking and even some that are dying. Out of these ashes, God is at work. May it be so with us. But I leave you with the question to ponder and pray about. If all things work for the good, according to God's purpose in your life and in our collective life, what does that mean for you? How do you read that and interpret that and claim it and live into it? By the power of the Holy Spirit, you are invited to do just that. Amen. Please stand as we sing.